know how your weekend was, but um, it was busy here at Great Hills. We had some wonderful people come in from all over the world, really, for an evangelism training, and um, Fred and Melissa Campbell led that. It was fantastic Friday night. I had the privilege of speaking Friday night, and then Saturday they had a full day of training. And um, last night had an opportunity. I'm just telling you all my weekend. Is that okay with you all? Good. Thank you. Say. Sure, Pastor, do whatever you want to do. Uh, yesterday, um, I, I know y'all know this, we have many people in our church from all ethnic um, backgrounds and nationalities and so forth. And yesterday afternoon, had a chance to time of leadership, spoke to the leaders, the elders of this church, and then was able to preach to them last night in their, uh, the Austin uh, Christian Indian Fellowship. And many of our uh, folks that, were, that are in our church today were there last night. And so uh, we're just so, so very blessed to have a multi-ethnic, radiant, uh, multi-generational church. And this is just the joy of my heart, just to let you know. I love the fact that we're all here together worshiping the Lord, that the old folks aren't over in that room tucked away somewhere, and the young folks aren't tucked away in that room somewhere. I like the fact that we're all here together. That's kind of the way it's going to be in heaven, you see. So, uh, having said all that, now let me begin my, my message. All right, new heavens and new earth, 2 Peter chapter 3 is our text. If you have your Bibles, you want to go ahead and open up there with me, and then it'll be on the screen. We will share the Word of God together. It's a message that I'm going to preach uh, today, and then next Sunday I will finish the epistle of 2 Peter, and then we will... Uh, we'll ba basically be toward the end of the year in our preaching. So uh, I want to finish this series, I really do, because there are some other things I'm going to be preaching in the new year, and especially come mid to late January, we will begin our study uh, in the book of Revelation. And so today is new heavens and new earth. Think about this statement I'm about to make. Things are not always the way they appear. Things are not always the way they appear on the surface. For example, had you told me that the Auburn Tigers um, football team, had you told me at the beginning of the year, by the way, this team went three and nine last year, and they are going to play in the national championship come January the 6th, 2014. I would, I would really question your football acumen. I would question your sanity. I would say, that is absolutely impossible. There's no way for a team to not even win a conference game to go on and, and go and play in the national championship. But here's why. Things are not always the way they appear. There was a much better team on that field than what anybody recognized. A baby born in a feed trough. I mean, come on. A baby born to a peasant Mary in a feed trough in a very inconspicuous, lowly little town of Bethlehem, and that baby in that feed trough, in that manger, if you will, that baby would be the salvation of the entire world. You see, things are not always the way they appear. Peter's going to talk to us today about a future that some of us have a hard time imagining. We, for the life of us, could never imagine a time, a future, a new world, if you will, a new heaven, a new earth where all that is right and all that is pure and all that is pristine and all that is godly 
will be manifest and will be glorified and all of that which is sensual and all that which is hedonistic and all that which is lowly on this earth, that will be diminished and all that is righteous will be magnified. Now, for some of us, we, we cannot imagine that. We, we live in a culture, for heaven's sake, Miley Cyrus is one of the top 10 most influential people in the United States of America, according to Time Magazine. She made the top 10. Let me tell you, Hannah Montana has come a long ways, brothers and sisters, if you don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, how in the world could this provocative, half-clad young lady be recognized by our nation as one of the top 10 most influential people in the year 2013. By the way, the Pope did beat her out. Amen. I'm glad. I'm glad the Pope beat her out for, you know, the Time Magazine Person of the Year. And so you may be like me and you may have it. You may have a very difficult time imagining that in a world in which we lived where wrong seems to be right and right seems to be wrong, and that which just seems so twisted and truncated seems like the message of this book, it just seems so inferior to the loud, glamorous, sensual messages of the world. And you, like me, may be having a hard time going, God, is there a way that you can save our day? God, is there a way where righteousness will reign again? And those things, God, that bring honor and glory to you will have the first place. In fact, in America, just over the last few years, since 2007 to 2012, the number of people who classify themselves as having absolutely unequivocally no religious affiliation has increased from 15% all the way to 20% in five years. Now, Now think about the ramifications for that as far as a church. That means that one in every five Americans will never darken the door of your church because they have checked out. They have said, like one of my family members told me the other day, he said, I don't believe in any of that stuff anymore. All this God and Jesus stuff, church, I turn my back on that. I reject that. I don't have any room for that whatsoever. And he is now among the 20% of Americans. I mean, let me tell you something, guys. It used to not be that way. In America, it used to be just the opposite, that we were a nation that at least had the appearance of a nation that had God as our Father, and and written into our very documents that this would be a Judeo-Christian ethnic nation. And so it may be hard for you today, as it's hard for me sometimes, to say, God, really? Do you really win? Do things really change for the better? Is heaven going to be a glorious place where righteousness reigns. But let me just say this to you guys. If you're discouraged today and you're defeated today, listen to this. Things are not always like they appear. All right, so let's read the Bible. Second uh, Peter, Second Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read our text and share a few thoughts with you that the Lord has laid on my heart today. And I'm very, very excited to share this message with you. And here's why. Because I believe in my heart there are those sitting here today and watching us on television and watching us online that if the truth be told, you would begin to be discouraged. And you began to think, you know, God, I just feel such, such an outlier. I, I feel like um, I'm so ostracized. I feel like such a minority in my job. 
in my culture, in my country, even in my family, God, as I try to take a stand for you, Lord, it just seems that we are losing, God. It just seems like, God, you are losing. And Lord, my heart is just broken. And that may be you today. You may be greatly discouraged. And you may need to hear a word from God that everything will be okay because things are not always like they appear. So let me read the text to you. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, all of these things referring to heaven and earth, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Look at verse 12. Look, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, come on now, watch this, we, he's talking to the church of Jesus Christ, past, present, future, we, according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So things will change. They will radically change for the better for the child of God. And so you may be here today and you're discouraged and you're despondent. You're even depressed at the way things look. And I want to encourage you with this word, that God is in control. And God can take what looks like is a mess and God can so transform it and change it so that it becomes a tremendous blessing. Somebody said uh, the other day, I heard this, they said, let your test become your testimony. I was reading this past week, I actually finished this book called David and Goliath. It is a fascinating book by Malcolm Gladwell. And uh, he, he, the premise of the book, as I've shared with you before, is things basically are not always like they appear. Uh, the title of the book says a lot, David and Goliath. And Gladwell says, in the Valley of Elah, in the Old Testament, when little David goes up against the nine-foot giant behemoth of a man, Goliath, the person who we ought to be concerned for, the person whose life is at stake, is not little old David, it's that big giant. Because things are not always… you get the picture. He tells the story of Gary Cohn, I think is how you pronounce his name, I know how to spell it, C-O-H-N, it's either Cohen or Cohn. David Cohn had, um, he had dyslexia, and he was raised in Cleveland, Ohio in the early 70s, and, and this, this was before we actually had diagnosed what dyslexia means. We, we thought kids with dyslexia, they were just either dumb, or they just didn't pay attention, and they just kind of whack them upside the head and say, read it, and they just look at it like, well, I, I can't read it. Well, just try harder. And Gary Cohn was brought up in that culture, and it was a very difficult time, but, but through that time, he learned to be very creative, and he learned to, to adapt to his circumstances. He could change the subject. He could fit in to make up for his deficiency in his ability to read, or really his inability to read. Gary Cohn went on, and he finished high school, which is a miracle, and then lo and behold, he enrolled in college, and he finished college. It would take him six hours to read 22 pages of a book. Can you imagine? Now, some of you suffer from that, and you've, you've been diagnosed with that, and there's help for you. But I'm talking about in the 60s and the 70s when there wasn't a whole lot of help. So he made his way on up to, uh, to New York. He was working as an intern on, on Wall Street. 
and, uh, and, and as an intern, he, he did pretty well, and then he finished up, and he got a job as an aluminum salesman for a company, and their headquarters was in uh, Long Island, New York. So he made his way up there for a headquarters sales meeting, and here's what he did, true story. He was looking out over Wall Street, and he thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could land a job in Wall Street? You know, that would really be a miracle, a guy that can barely read. And so he watched one of the guys who came out of Wall Street, and he was making his way to the taxi, and he overheard the guy say, I need to get to LaGuardia. So Gary Cohn ran down there to the same taxi, and he looked at this guy off of Wall Street. He said, uh, are you happen to be going to LaGuardia? And the, and the man in his nice business suit, he said, yes, I am. He said, do you mind if we share a taxi together? And the guy said, well, sure. And so for the next hour, Gary Cohn sat into the car with a man who was a very powerful a financier on Wall Street. In fact, he had just bought a company on trading options, a, a brokerage company. And so Gary Cohn, he sits in this car with this guy, and they strike up a conversation, and, uh, and before you know it, he has an interview. He has an interview with this man, and to make a long story short, he is, gets this job, and he knows very little about buying and selling and trading options on Wall Street. But here's what he did. He would take a book, and for six hours, he would read about 20 pages, and he self-taught himself, and so he went on and made his boss millions of dollars, and today, that guy, Gary Cohn, is the president of Goldman Sachs, this powerful financial uh, magnate there in, in Wall Street. And you would look at this little guy, probably six, seven years of age in the 60s and the 70s, and you would look at him and you would judge him and you would say, man, he is going to be a failure. In fact, his own mom said, all I want you to do, son, is just finish high school and drive a truck or do something and just get out. I mean, bless your heart, you don't have much of a chance. Things are not always what they appear. And I want to encourage you with this message today. First of all, I want to talk to you about a word of perspective and then uh, share a word with you about purpose, and then finally a word about a promise. And the thing I want to say about perspective is this. Look at verse 11. Peter says, therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what kind of people ought we to be in holy conduct and in godliness? Peter is calling on them, and he's calling on us uh, to think with a heavenly perspective, because I know it is so easy to become discouraged. It is so easy to become, Lord, woe is us, and to say, God, we're just failing and we're not going to make it. God, the kingdom of God is being pressed against, and so forth and so on. But listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 11. He says, we are pilgrims. Beloved, we are sojourners and pilgrims, and we are to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against uh, the soul. In our text today, he says, let our conduct be in a way that is holy and that is godly. I love this word conduct. It is the Greek word anastrophe. And it means really a good definition of it is the manner of your life, the way you live your life, the whole encompassing nature of your life. Let's live on, let's live in such a way 
to have a perspective that, that we're going to do what God wants us to do. We're going to be faithful. We're going to pursue righteousness and justice and holiness. We're going to pursue those things even though those things are not very popular in our culture, even though people will look down upon us and say, hey, why don't you just come on in and join us and join the majority? You know, Jesus said something about that. And talking about word of perspective, Jesus said that um, there, is a, there are two paths. There is a broad path that leads to destruction, and then there is a narrow, myopic path, a smaller, limited path that leads to uh, everlasting life. You know, you may feel like, uh, you may feel that way today. You may feel like an outlier. You may feel like someone who's ostracized, and you may feel like a David in a valley of Elah, and there are multiple giants that you're faced against. In fact, I know you do, because you tell me. You tell me your stories. You tell me your difficulties in your job, and you tell me your difficulties in your body with your cancer, and you, you share with me the, the difficulties of life in your marriage, and you share with me the, the hard times that you're having, and there's a point where you become almost exasperated, and you almost get to the point where you say, God, I wonder, is it really, really worth it? Lord, am I going to continue on this small, narrow path? God, is is there a better day? God, will you come through? God, how am I going to make it? And let me just come alongside you and tell you this. Hold on, my dear friend. You be strong. You be faithful because it looks like on the outside that you are diminishing. It looks like on the outside that you are losing. But listen to this good word. But with God, all things are possible. And I encourage you with that. I don't want you to be discouraged because Peter says, let's have a Let's have a heavenly perspective, if you will, because these things are going to be dissolved. This current world order will not only dissipate and diminish, but it will literally be a mighty conflagration. Everything that people prize, everything that people think so important, and it does not have anything to do with godliness and holiness in the kingdom of God, those things will eventually burn up in, in flames. And I, and I know it's hard. I know it's hard for us to even imagine that, to think of that. I mean, for heaven's sake, we live in a nation. For every McDonald's restaurant, there are three pornographic establishments. Did you hear that? For every place that sells Happy Meals, okay, a McDonald's, there are three establishments that sell pornographic, a multi-multi-billion dollar industry uh, in our nation alone. And you may look at that and say, wow, man, this is, but, but don't do that. Don't, don't say, oh, man, it, it's, just, it's just awful. I mean, you know, it's just God could never, no, 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 God can't. God will. Things aren't always the way they appear. We wring our hands and we worry and we frown and we like, oh, God. And it's just like Peter comes along and says to us today, don't be worried about that. You do what you know is the right thing to do and participate in holiness and godliness. And number two, and, and, and next he says, and look. Oh, I couldn't wait to talk to you about verse 12. Are you there? Look at verse 12. He tells us our purpose. He already tells us to have a right perspective on holiness and godliness. And I would say, let us not be intimidated or not be worried, but let's, let's have a godly perspective and let's remember our purpose. And he tells us our purpose in verse 12. He says, let us look for and hasten the coming of the day of God. Now, 
Think about that for just a minute. Peter says that we ought to look for that great day and we can actually expedite the coming of that great day. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14 that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached and then uh, the end will come. You remember that? And Peter's basically saying the same thing. He's saying, let us, as followers of Christ, let us look toward that great day and let us anticipate it, and here's the way we can expedite it. We can live a godly life, and we can tell people about Christ, and as we do that, what we are actually doing is we are, and the Greek word there is sputo, and it's where we get the word speed. We can literally speed up, and we can hasten the, the day of God. You say, no, I wasn't here last week. What is the day of God? Oh, thank you for asking. The day of God is that great eschatological, end times, encompassing time when Jesus Christ comes again and He, and he comes to get us as His church and, and He takes us away and the world falls into a time of great tribulation. Jesus comes again and He sets up His kingdom here on this earth. All of these things are part of this eschatological, end time, day of God, the day of the Lord. And by the way, friends, with each moment that we live, we get a little bit closer to God coming and saving the day. But you know what? There's a way you can hasten that. You say, I don't know if I agree with you, Brother Dan. You don't have to agree with me, but you do need to agree with Peter, okay? It's important that you agree with him because he said you can actually hasten and hurry up the day. Now remember, God delays his judgment. God delays his coming. Why? Because verse 9 says he, he's so gracious. He's so compassionate. He doesn't want anybody to perish. You know, God puts off, we may be the terminal generation where this thing ends, where Jesus Christ comes again, but I believe God in His divine forbearance and His patience and His compassion and His love, He's waiting on us to come. He's waiting on us to believe on Him, and we as believers, we can actually help that. We can hasten His coming by leading people to the Lord. I read a true story this, this past week, and it's, um, it's a story out in California a man by the name of uh, Anthony uh, Story. Anthony Story had a, a routine. Every Friday, he would do the same thing. He would go to the grocery store, he would buy his alcohol, and then he would buy his groceries, and then he would go home and he would prepare a meal for his whole family. Well, after a few weeks and months of doing this, he got to know the store clerk, the lady, you know, that, that checks, out, you know, checks out your food and so forth. And so he, he would come through there, and she would say hey to him. He would say hey to her, and they began to develop a relationship. And finally, this, this lady, by the way, she loved the Lord, and she was burdened for her friend, Anthony's story. And so she said, Lord, next time I see him, and it's probably going to be Friday, I want to get up the nerve. God, I want to reach out to him, and I just want to tell him about you. Have you ever done that? you ever felt like that? You just felt so compelled to be able to share with somebody. And sure enough, on Friday, he got his bunch of beer, and he was walking toward the um, checkout stand and had all of his food in his little basket there. And as he began, as he began to put it on the, on the belt there, it, it came out kind of strong. Have you ever done that? You know, if you ever wanted to tell somebody about the Lord and it just comes out kind of strong. And she goes, Anthony, you need to repent. You need to give your life to God. That's, that's what she told him. You know, he was like, what? You know, and she goes, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, but, but you, you, you need to give your life to God. God loves you. And, and I want to invite you to Melody Land. And Anthony's story said, 
in his testimony, he said, I, I looked at her and I thought, she's lost her mind. You know, repent? What, what does that mean, number one? And number two, I've heard of Disneyland, which is right down the street. But, 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 but honey, what, what is Melody Land? And she goes, oh, that's my church. I want you to come and, and visit uh, our church sometime. Well, sure enough, miracle of miracles. He goes home. And he tells his family what happened at the grocery store. And he says, I don't know if any of you all want to go. He said, but, but Sunday I'm going to go. I'm going to go to church. My friend uh, invited me. He went to church. And Pastor Wilkerson there at Melody Land Church uh, in California, he did something that he had never done before. And I'm tempted to do this. In fact, I'm, I probably will do this one Sunday. I'm going to give you kind of a heads up because it is kind of strange. But since I'm kind of a strange guy, it should, it should go well. What he did was... Everybody came in at 11 o'clock. Instead of the music, he said, take your Bibles, and he began to preach his sermon. Now, that would mess some of y'all up, would, would it not? Because some of y'all get here about 11.30, and you're going to be going, what is going on? Have I missed something here? Yeah, you missed the whole sermon. And so he's, he's preaching the gospel, all right? And man, it got all over uh, Anthony's story. He went home. He... he shared the gospel with all five of his sons. They all got saved, and they went back to church that afternoon at 5.30, and they all got baptized. And one of those sons, Tony, went on to become a prominent pastor there in Los Angeles and leading Bible studies there uh, in Hollywood. You know, when I read that story, I thought about, you know, God, that is so good, and that is so true. And each time we do that, we speed up, we hasten the day of God, the coming of our great God. So what a, what a, uh, a word of, um, of blessing, what a word of purpose for us, that these are the things we should be uh, engaged in. Let me, let me read what one person said about our text. This is so good. He said, how? How are we to hasten the coming of God? We should be those who live holy and godly lives, who are looking for His coming, and we do this by working faithfully to share His love and salvation with others. Let me close today with a word of promise. Look at verse 13. A word of perspective in verse 11. What kind of people ought we to be? We ought to be faithful, godly people walking with the Lord, living for the Lord, not being intimidated, not being overwhelmed. Things are not always like they appear. We think that, you know, God will never come. God will never save the day, but He will. He will. So have a divine perspective. We see our purpose our purpose is we are to look for and to hasten the day of God. And then finally, look at this word of promise. And I don't know if this does anything for you today, but I want you to know it greatly blessed my life as I was studying it this week. Nevertheless, uh, a good translation would be, in light of all this, or however, nevertheless, according to His promise, we look for a new day. We look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, you remember John and Peter, they are inspired by the same Holy Spirit. And so it should not surprise us, for example, when we read in Revelation uh, chapter 20, verse 11, that the old earth and the old heaven, all that we know, it, it just it dissolves, it passes away. And in Revelation 21, 1, and we'll go ahead and put it on the screen, you, you'll see there is, there's a new heaven, there's a, a new earth. And John said, and I saw it, a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, they had passed away, 
and there was no more sea. And so Peter is telling us and John is telling us, listen, there's coming a new day. And here's the defining characteristic, the primary attribute of these new heavens and new earth is that righteousness will prevail. Let me tell you something. The reason we have such difficulty in our world today, the reason there's so much death and disease and crying and cancer and pain and just heartache and divorce and immorality, the reason we have all of these things that so dominate our culture is we live in old earth, in old heaven, in the heavens and the earth right here where sin is the dominating factor, and it is. I don't think anybody would disagree with this preacher today that sin is a powerful dominating factor. In fact, the Bible talks about the God of this age, the little g of this age, the enemy. Now, the difference in the new heavens and the new earth is all of those things will be passed away and the defining preeminent attribute of the new heavens and the new earth will be this, righteousness will dwell. And the reason it is, is because the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, reigns supreme. Look at this verse. It says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and God will dwell with them. Now, this is the new heavens. This is the new earth. This is post-Armageddon. This is post-millennial reign. This is post-Satan and his demons cast into the lake of fire. All of that is behind us. And now we reign with Christ, He dwells with us, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Now watch this, verse 4. Oh, what a promise. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Hallelujah. There shall be no more sorrow nor crying. Watch this. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Tell you, heaven is going to be grand. It's going to be glorious. What what a wonderful thing, you know, to look forward to. It appears that, man, the devil's just going to win. It it, it just appears that we're just just in the minority. We'll always be the minority. We'll always be defeated. But things aren't always the way they appear. God is still in control, and God is still working on planet earth, and God is still having his sovereign way and sovereign will, and one glorious day, according to his promise, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. I just love to cross-reference scripture. Let, Let me give you a great verse here. John 14, 2 and 3, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, here's a promise, you can mark it down, all right? I will come again. I will come again and I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. What a great promise. Let me look back in the Old Testament with you, Psalm 67 or Isaiah 67, maybe 12, 13. Do y'all have that verse in there? For behold, there it is, I create a new heaven, new heavens and new earth. And the former shall not be remembered, nor shall it come to mind. Isaiah 65, 17. So, we are a people of great, of great hope. And I don't know if this message helps you like it helps me, but sometimes it's just good to be reminded. And you probably heard the old preacher say one time, yeah, 
I read the book of Revelation, and I can tell you what it means. It means we win. And I like that. I mean, it does. It means we, in the end, we win. But let me tell you something. In the meantime, we have a purpose. And it is God's desire, it is God's will that we take as many people with us as we possibly can on our way to heaven. Because on that great day, when we come face to face with Him, and it may happen in our lifetime as far as the, uh, the rapture, or it will definitely happen at our death. When we know Him, we will go into His presence. And what a glorious day that will be. My, my predecessor at one of the churches I served in, in Virginia, uh, Liberty Baptist Church there in Hampton, Virginia, Easter Sunday morning, 1972, the pastor, Jesse King, was preaching. And uh, right after he preached, they said he preached a powerful message uh, on the gospel. And the youth choir sang a song. And then when he made his way back up to the pulpit on that Easter Sunday morning, he said the prayer, the benediction, and he fell over and died of a massive heart attack in church on Easter. But before he died, people gathered around him And he had this vision, and he said these words. He looked up at people, and he goes, It is beautiful. Go and tell. And then he closed his eyes and died. I heard a story just like that this past week from Jimmy Draper. And Jimmy Draper, by the way, is going to preach for us in a couple of weeks. Stories like this just motivate me, and they encourage me to keep going, keep sharing, keep witnessing. Things aren't always the way they look. God does win. God does come through. And Jimmy Draper's telling the story of his, gra- his grandfather. His grandfather was a Baptist preacher for decades and decades, well into his 70s. He was still preaching, and, and he was just a, a, a joy, a prince of a man. In fact, he graduated from Southwestern Seminary, was one of the first graduates in 1910. And that jogged my memory because my great-great-grandfather was also in that graduating class. Samuel Isaacs, my great-great-grandfather, was a graduate of Southwestern Seminary and went on to be a missionary in, uh, among the Indian population here in North America. Well, anyhow, his grandfather got ill, and they put him in the hospital there, in the Baptist hospital there in Little Rock, Arkansas. And everybody knew his time was near, and everybody was starting to gather around and say their goodbyes, and he slipped into a coma. For about three days, he was in a coma, and people expected uh, Pastor Draper to go into heaven any moment. And his sister, I'm glad y'all are sitting down, because this is wild, what I'm about to tell you. His sister is sitting there, and uh, it's just her and her brother, Pastor Draper, and all of a sudden... He shot up out of bed. He rose up out of the bed and he goes, Why, hello, angel. I know those people. I baptized them. And he laid down and died. Good night. (laughs) Hello, angel. What in the world was he seeing? He was seeing an angel. And he was seeing all the people that he led to Christ and baptized. He left this life and went right into heaven. Can I just tell you all one more time again, guys? In the end, we indeed win. That's a glorious thing. Thank you, Jesus. I want to encourage you today, if if you're here and your heart is heavy and you're a follower of Christ and you just need to be reminded, I hope that you've taken comfort today in the message that God has put on my heart, this message out of 2 Peter chapter 3, new heavens and a new earth. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, I plead with you at this very moment. 
And I know many people do watch us on television. Many people are watching us online. And I'm glad for that, and I'm grateful you guys are doing that. But I really want to speak to our people that are right here, right now in Austin, Texas. If you are one of those who would say, I am not prepared. I am not ready for the new heavens and the new earth because I'm enjoying this old heaven and old earth way too much. In fact, I I need to turn away from that. You know, you've probably had a store clerk. You've probably had a friend. You've probably had somebody in your life tell you, hey, you need to turn your life over to God. And they do that, and I do that, out of a heart of compassion, out of a heart of concern, because we do believe as wonderful as heaven is, hell is equally bad, and we don't want you to go there. We want you to give your life to Christ and come and come into a relationship with Him. So if that's you today, I invite you, even, even now, I invite you to give your heart to the Lord. And, um, man, that would, be, that would be awesome. In fact, I'm going to pray for you that you would do that right now. God, we thank you so much for the privilege of preaching your word and the privilege of being in your presence today. God, thank you for each person that's here. Lord, I know it's not an accident that you have assembled the people that are in this place. And Lord, there are some, if not many, who are here today, God, and they need you. They need to respond in repentance and faith. And for the very first time, they need to embrace you, Christ, and all of your beauty, all of your salvation, all of your grace and glory and peace. And I pray that they would they would do that any, right now, any person, every person. In fact, with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to help you in in doing this. In fact, I'm going to just say what is known as just a basic sinner's prayer, and I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And as I pray out loud, you can pray quietly and silently in your heart. And you may be a child, you may be a single adult, you may be a, a married couple, you may be a senior adult, whoever you are. If you have never embraced Christ and received Him to be your King, your Savior, your Lord, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Would you do it? You can just pray it silently in your heart. I'll pray it out loud. Say, Dear God in heaven, (laughs) I know that you are real. And I know, God, that I need you in my life. At this moment, I give you my life. I turn from my sin. And I embrace you as my King, as my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I give you my past. I give you my present. I give you my future. All that I am, all that I am, all that I am, Lord, I give unto you. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want to be the first one to say, Hallelujah, glory to God, welcome to the family of God. And before this day is over, I invite you, in fact, before this service is over, I invite you to tell me, tell someone about your decision to receive Christ. And so, Lord, now as we come into this time of invitation, as we stand, as we sing, I'm praying now, God, for those who will come and they'll, they'll make their decision public. They'll come, they'll want to unite with our church family. They'll come maybe just to come to the altar and say, God, I just need encouragement and I need, I need somebody to pray for me. I pray for our counselors. I pray for our pastors. I pray for just this divine moment, God, when we stand and we have this time of invitation. We ask you to bless it, God. We need you. We ask you, Lord, to move in a powerful way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord.